Kevin Matthews, a Scottish film fan living in England and this week we will be bravely battling through the podcast as Tyler and I both feel quite under the weather and Dave is just exasperated by the constant plague of humanity. Yeah, I mean that's, but that's like every week. Yeah. (laughs) I'm Tyler Hosley and like Kevin said, uh, I am but I'm finally starting to get over that cold that I had last week. I don't know what the fuck that was, but it's I'm it's still kind of lingering. Still got that cough, but it's starting to leave. So yay! I'm Dave Gray, and this week I learned the best thing in life is to see your enemies driven before you, hear the lamentations of their women, and this is Raiders of the Podcast. Yay! Uh, this week I I'm going to admit I didn't watch much. I was in a terrible insomniac bout. So I spent most of my time playing final fantasy 16, not sleeping and just like staring into the half distance. But what I did do, uh, I, I went to see the current national touring production of Annie and that sucks. So if you're in the States and you think, Hey, I like to go see a, a musical. How about Annie? Don't go see Annie. It's, it's truly terrible. Like I've seen a lot of professional plays and you know i did stage tech i did stage tech for a long time uh professionally and i've never seen a play that that bad before and i like annie like the musical generally i it's unoffensive the songs are catchy as long as your cast can sing and the uh the musicians can play their instruments it's it's a generally fun time and uh, neither group that needed to do those things could do those things. So, yay. And besides that, I, I like I binged an anime before losing Crunchyroll. So, you know, if you're really hard up and you want to watch something kind of cute, I, I enjoyed uh, the rehabilitation of an MMO junkie. But, you know, I, I enjoy 30-year-old shut-in ladies addicted to uh, MMOs. And if you know any, be sure to uh, email us at RaidersOfThePodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll offer them the kind assistance that we can. You're such a harsh Craig, Dave. Kind assistance means Dave's going to love on them. I didn't watch uh, much else this week. I did watch Imprint, though, the Takashi Miike Masters of Horror episode, which is, like, by far the best thing to ever come from that TV show. Wasn't this episode, like, banned from TV or something? Pretty sure it was. Um, Not banned, but, yeah, it didn't re-air very often. I was going to say, I thought maybe the DVD said uh, banned from cable broadcast or something, but can't remember. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it did say that, but... No, not technically. Yeah, it's probably like the X-Files episode, Home. They probably showed it one time, and that was like it. Um, It's pretty fucking great, though. Like, it's got some nasty torture scenes with needles, too. I mean, it's some gnarly stuff, and There's like dead babies floating in the river. It, it's pretty brutal. Um, The show didn't really produce much good. I watched every season. 
including that NBC version, Fear Itself, which was bad. But um, like I said, yeah, the show didn't produce much good, but this was the standout. I also really like that Dario Argeno episode, the one with the deformed girl with nice tits riding the dude from Wings. I think it was called Jennifer. Um, that one stood out too. But uh, anyways, imprint is good, and uh, that's me. I started off with a quiet week, obviously watching the picks for the podcast, and then I only had time for a few others here and there. Uh, Fallen Leaves is the latest film from Aki Karuzmaki that a lot of people have been praising, and it's really, really good. So uh, I would recommend that to people who know uh, Karuzmaki's style and uh, sort of low-key approach to putting aspects of humanity under the the microscope uh yeah it's it's really really good and then i had a friend who said have you seen fight this film called primal rage it's now on amazon prime it's mental it's a film that starts with uh well, you find out that monkeys are being experimented on with a rage virus, and then one of those monkeys bites a human interloper that's in the lab. So that should sound familiar to some people. But this was made in 1988. Uh, it was directed by the son of Carlo Rambaldi. Uh, his name is Vittorio. And uh, there's no 28 days later here. Yeah, Primal Rage is no 28 Days Later, but it's actually just a, a lot of cheesy fun, as you might expect from a, a late 80s film with that premise. People have wounds, they get um, chilled and strange looking and feverish. They, they basically all look like the final stage of renting and train spotting when he's trying to kick drugs. That's the level of acting and uh, they want to attack other people. So that was a good bit of fun. But then I made up for my slightly lesser week by having a day at the pictures today. So I saw three films, two of which were absolutely great, one of which I'm a little bit unsure of. So I saw The Holdovers. I think it's superb. I think it yeah, I think it could be Alexander Payne's best film. Uh, we're all pretty much, I think, in the Paul Giamatti fan club. So uh, Paul Giamatti does great work there. That's no surprise. The rest of the cast are really good, though. I mean, everybody's really good across the board. It's got the the great uh, 70s feel to it and the aesthetic. It's just really, really good. And it has a couple of bits that made me laugh out loud. Uh, more so than you know quite a few films that have been put out there as full-on comedies lately so highly recommend that one i then saw uh, all of us are strangers or all of us strangers sorry uh directed by andrew haig who's done uh, a few other movies i i think the previous one of his that i've seen really enjoyed was weekend he also did a good little film called Lean on Pete, which I'm thinking Tyler might have seen Lean on Pete. 
I have not actually. Ah, it's, uh, I think it's got your your kind of vibe on Pete. It's um, I'm I'm trying to think of who's that again. It might be Giovanni Ribisi, uh, or I could be misremembering. Anyway, uh, all the strangers has Andrew Scott, uh, Paul Mescal, Claire Foy, Jamie Bell, and. I think everyone has described the basic plot, so I'll I'll do that without going any further into it. But basically, Andrew Scott plays uh, a man who's uh, writing uh, something that involves him going back to his childhood home, and then when he gets there, his his parents are there, but his parents being kind of the same age as him not uh, how they they might be in any present day circumstances and it's it's very good um it kind of explores that that perception of having the past there but you know it's only being a place to visit it explores the idea of conversations that you you know might want to have with your parents when you're older to have more of a you know more of a a a fire in your belly for uh, arguments you want to make or stances you want to take and um yeah i just i just really really enjoyed it and it um moves in the third act to to a place that's quite just beautiful and still slightly magical so i highly recommend that then and i i'm not saying this is the ideal way to do this i decided to take a punt on the latest version of the color purple which is a musical movie based from a successful stage musical which is based from previously you've got the book the film i've not seen any other incarnation of the color purple so I had some idea of uh, it, you know, not being a happy, happy, fun time. And it certainly isn't from the material going through most of the, the storyline. Well, all of it. So I think it's it's a good film. Uh, looks really uh, sort of beautiful despite the grim subject matter for a lot of it the the cast are good um taraj p henson is is brilliant uh she just kind of lights up the screen with her scenes but yeah as i suspected it just seems like a bit too odd a mix for that story and occasional movie musical moments i i know the um the stage version did quite well, so I, I just, I can't, I can't even imagine that though. I, I don't know how they, how they did it on stage, or if there's just a slightly better vibe when you're going to see something, uh, with that storyline, on stage anyway. I'm, I'm really not sure. I couldn't get my head around it, and, it does stumble in movie form. But I think I would feel that way about a stage version of it. So, you know, maybe 
others will disagree and think it's a perfect adaptation of the stage play. Dave, as the theatre connoisseur of the podcast, did you see any of the Colour Purple stage version? I mean, I've seen the stage version. It's, the, the, the it's musical been for version. a while. I haven't seen the current film version. So right, but I you, you don't know. but when you saw the stage version, was it is it was it always a musical for the stage version? Uh, <coughs> yeah, it it's not a good adaptation. Like the stage version I saw was was not a good adaptation at at all. Um, I mean, and I don't think the Spielberg movie is a good adaptation either. I mean, the book is amazing, and mm. I mean, you know, the movie was just prettified and amblinized and you know it was eh, it was fine but the the stage from what i recall was just patchy and messy and just didn't it just reduced what was like this sprawling feminist saga into you know like cartoon scenes to like simplify i think theater and musicals are amazing and they can do amazing work, but I think there's a lot of stuff that is not right for it. Mm-hmm. And the color purple is one of those things. Um, again, the movie, th- this version might be excellent. I haven't seen the current version. I saw it back in like, Oh shit. Uh, I don't know. 2010 maybe, but I yeah I just I don't know I I don't see how it could work after reading the book so yeah and I think also I've uh, put myself at a disadvantage because having an idea of the content of the color purple now they're not identical stories but there are similarities running through them I was also already thinking well, this has to do a lot to live up to Eve's Bayou because obviously I was recently converted to the brilliance of that when I saw that a few months ago. Um, so that will be on my mind if I get around to even the, the Spielberg version. Or who knows, Dave, maybe one day I'll read the book and send you photos of me reading I the know. book. I know, and you won't. We know, we know it's unlikely. No, I but, know, uh, you won't. I've... I've I'm on my third book of the year already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. So now put on that 1983 Pulitzer Prize winner by uh, Alice Walker, and then we'll have a conversation. Okay. Never say never. Anyway, uh, with that challenge laid down, that is me. This week, we went in for a three-pack of Takashi Miike which included his 1996 uh, action comedy based on an unfinished manga, Fudo, The New Generation, the 2017 samurai action film also based on a manga, but this one was incredibly successful, Blade of the Immortal, and his 2019 crime thriller, First Love. You know what? I'm going to go first. I'm going to start with Blade of the Immortal. Uh, focuses on the immortal samurai Manji, who becomes bodyguard of an orphan teenager as they go on a journey of vengeance against the Ito Ryu samurai who killed the girl's parents. 
Um, there's some interesting things. Uh, Blade of the Immortal, the the comic book is is excellent, but one of the funny things about it is uh, the character's name is Manji, and a Manji, for those that don't know, is a Buddhist swastika, which is an inverse. Uh, orientation and, and direction of the Nazi version. So when they started publishing it in the U.S. in, God, I don't know, the mid-90s, late 90s, like 90, 98, 2005, somewhere in there, Um, they did what they always do with cheap conversions where instead of, uh, you know, just finding a way to work uh, how Japanese reads in the opposite direction that we do. They uh, just mirror imaged it all. So the book for over a year had Manji walking around with a Nazi swastika on his back. Which is always funny to me. Maybe I'm the only one that found that funny. I'm sorry. Uh, Mikkei removes the Manji from Manji's back. He has another symbol there and I'm not actually sure what it is. But um, the, I'm sorry, that was a digression that I thought would be quick and went way too long. Um, I like Blade of the Immortal. It, it was McKay's 100th film, but I don't actually think it's one of his best. It looks really good. And the cast is really good. But it kind of suffers from the fact that our hero is a whiny immortal dude. Because in the comic book where he's a, you know, he's a competent samurai and a badass. In this, he kind of sucks. He just can't die. So there's no tension to the fights. There's no real flow to them for me. Other people's miles might vary. And that's kind of the problem with it. I just think this was over long with too many wash, repeat, boring fight scenes. I think there's a lot of good in it. Again, it looks great. When the cast is allowed to do some character moments, they're all fantastic, especially... Um, uh, oh, crap. Um, give me a second. Uh, Takuya Kiyomara as Manji. He's excellent. And Hana Sagasuki, who plays um, the girl Rin. They're both great. And, and they get some really good moments together. Uh, unfortunately, I don't find the evil samurai entertaining enough to make the rest of it work. Like, I, I just don't see any reason to throw this on when I can watch Lone Wolf and Cub instead. Or like a billion other pretty similar samurai films. It's fine. But... We're doing, you know, Takashi Miike films. This, for me, it's just it's not crazy enough. It just doesn't land well enough. It's it's fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's terrible. Just it feels like a missed opportunity to me, because he has a, a a good budget and a great production staff. I mean, there's some awesome shots, but I don't know. Maybe they need to onboard a. a another fight choreographer 
because f- for me they, they could have cut a good hour out of this and it wouldn't it wouldn't have changed anything it's decent but not great it's a kevin seven it's it's a kevin seven and that's just kind of you know it's a kevin seven I actually really like this movie a lot. Uh, for me, I know a movie's good when you look at the clock when it's over and it's been running for like two hours and 20 minutes. And I didn't even really notice the running time. I, uh, but yeah, I, I really dug this. I, I'm not familiar with the manga source, but the movie itself for me was exactly what you think of when you think of a Takashi Miike samurai movie. I mean, it's got limbs cut off, there's blood spraying, a little humor thrown in, some of that signature Takashi Miike weirdness. It's super stylish and it has a great aesthetic too. Very comic book in style, which which I loved. That first fight is amazing. It's so cold and so brutal. All all the fights in this are pretty amazing though. Just super well choreographed and they're vicious as hell. And I actually really enjoyed our lead character. And after this movie, it kind of made me want to check out the manga to see more of this character. I do agree with what Dave said. When you when your lead character is immortal, it takes away all the stakes from your movie because you're immortal and you can't fucking die. So obviously the, the dude's gonna live. But um, I uh, I really enjoyed the lead character. I thought he was good, and um, don't have much else to say. I can. It's a really good samurai movie, and I just I really dug it. It's not a genre that I watch that often, but I dug this one quite a bit. I thought it was good stuff. I picked this because it's been sitting on my shelf for far too long. It was a choice between this and 13 Assassins. And I watched 13 Assassins a few years ago. Enjoyed it. Can't remember much about it. Remembered. I don't know whether I've remembered correctly or not. That it was a slightly longer film. <laughs> and thought as it was a special week and we're doing a few films, let's have a go at Blade of the Immortal. So that was it. That was my entire reason. I know this was um, this was the longest film we watched this week. I can't recall if it's if it's longer than Thirteen Assassins. So maybe my whole reasoning was uh, just faulty. But I'm glad I marked off a list. I'm glad there's another. Uh, you know, make a movie that's that I've now completed. I enjoyed it. Dave's not far off when he says it's a, a total Kevin Seven. Um, it is. It, it is one of those things where it's got that good central idea again, and is kind of essentially wash, rinse, repeat uh, a few times stretched over the you know the two plus hour run time but there there are definite highlights um i i did like the leads i liked kimura and i liked uh, uh, sugisaki as the the young girl with them i liked uh, there were some fights that actually felt as if some decent time had been taken with them to 
put in a bit of the kind of bloodshed you would expect from a making movie and a little bit inventiveness polish some something extra that made you realize it wasn't a complete rush job as I'm, I'm not saying all of these films uh, feel that way but the guy likes to churn a lot out in a short space of time so some fare better than ours this one felt like he had the time to take a bit of care with them there's a great fight in the second half with um i'm i'm not going to know the wording for it but it's the the bladed weapon that then has the chain any any quartermasters yes. know the name <laughs> the the cheney blade is that it sure (laughs) um i just i like that it's not it's not overdone it's not overly complicated it's actually i was was kidding it's actually called a curse i'm gonna butcher this i know i am because you know kursagi gamma all right kursari gamma it's like k-u-s-a-r-i-g-a-m-a Okay, Kusari Gamma. We'll go with that. Yeah. It's um you know, if in another film that might have been an extended sequence with a lot more um creativity in there. So I'm not saying it's the most dazzling fight sequence, but it is enough of a break from the other stuff we've seen and it's done quite well. Like when someone gets caught with that, you know it's going to be bad uh, or even fatal. It's it's good. People throughout this film lose limbs, lose their lives. That's that's great. But with that, um, the Kusagiyama, um, that's that's a highlight. There's also the character that I I think is involved in that fight or just around that fight. It's the um, it's an interesting little twist with someone who's been basically pretending to be uh, Manji and and has been making his uh, name and money from that and I like that as well the main story strand though with our lead characters it's there's not that much to really keep your vested interest in it uh, well I, I certainly didn't feel that way so I would have rather he used that as the flimsiest of excuses to string some sequence there. I really like the the end, the big battle at the end. And again, it's kind of more of the same stuff we've seen, but just the numbers going against our main character. I mean, Manji's in the middle of this brawl and he's about to start chopping through him. I, I really like that. I, I think I liked it when... It, it kind of goes to Dave's point about him just being a kind of whiny immortal. There are a couple of moments where they seem to plant their feet and think, actually, there's something worth taking a stand here for and putting up a better fight. And those moments have more spirit in them and are better because of them. But yeah, I, I'm currently swithering between a Kevin Seven and 
potentially a little bit higher if I was uh, in a more generous mood. Uh, two things. Because I know there's somebody listening going, it's not called that. It's called a shogay. It's only a shogay that has a sickle on it. And this had a blade. So, boom. So, it's definitely a chainy blade. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Second, I think... You know, where I, you know where I think this really falls down since I've been sitting here thinking about it? It's the villain. He just is blah. Like, he, you don't like to hate him. He's not enjoy- He's just, like, there. And I think that undermines a, a lot of it for me. Because, like, if I'm going to have to keep watching these wash, rinse, repeat, give me a, a villain. I, give me a Kurrigan. You know? Give me a, a who's the guy in RoboCop. Somebody I can just really hate. And instead, he and most of his minions are just kind of there. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I'm not wording it quite right, but it's you would need to you kind of want to ramp up the fun factor as it were. <laughs> and in terms of like the villainy of the villains and you know the 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 sort of souped up nitrous injection when the immortal blade is you know really stealing himself for a big fight that's that's what i think um, i like i know what you mean i didn't i didn't care about the villains so if i didn't care about the villains that's all well and good if the immortal blade and and the girl if they're just going about you know getting into more fights whether accidentally or carving their way through loads and loads of henchmen on the way to the big boss but it didn't do that either so it's a shame but i can see why you know it's it's not a bad choice for for mickey's like hundredth because of letting him do something with you know it's generally for him pretty um pretty mainstream and polished entertainment but it still has <laughs> enough of the uh oddball elements and like the old ultra violence that uh that is still in his wheelhouse even if you know people who've seen a lot of his other stuff will know it's tame in comparison so I, I can see why he would be happy to have this as his 100th film. But that was probably a complete coincidence as well. T, do you want to guess how much shorter this is than 13 Assassins? <laughs> Isn't 13 Assassins like almost three hours? I can't remember. It's been it's, a while. It's that's, not, that's what I thought. It's over two hours, but so oh, is okay. this. It is, it is shorter, but do you want to guess how much shorter? Um, I haven't seen 13 Assassins in fucking since it came out, but, um, 20 minutes. Kevin, you want to guess? <laughs> um, 10 minutes. One minute. It is one minute shorter right. than 13 okay. Assassins. I was confused. <laughs> I think, uh, I think I maybe always equate 13 Assassins to seven Samurai. So I think it's near the three hour mark. No, which is uh, you know. well, which is reasonable. I mean, that's I understand why, but yeah, I was just looking at the numbers, and it's it's a minute shorter. So I didn't mean to 
to make us take up a lot longer this week. But I will uh, jump on to Tyler's choice, which actually is another Mickey film that I also thought had a two-plus-hour runtime, and it doesn't. It is officially, I believe, it's like 108 minutes, uh, just over an hour 45. So <clears throat> Tyler gave us First Love from uh, 2019, and Leo is a young boxer who doesn't seem to be great at it, and one time he takes a punch, ends up at a doctor who tells him he doesn't have long to live. It's that uh, horrible, inoperable brain tumour problem. And uh, this encourages Leo to act when he sees uh, a young cold girl called Yuri uh, being chased by someone in the streets. So he gets involved with Yuri. They go off together. Turns out that uh, the people chasing Yuri were corrupt cops who are looking to get in with the Yakuza drug deals, intercepted drugs, get the money, make themselves rich, cause gang fights, and basically wait until the bodies are all piled up and then sit on the top of them like kings. That is a very brief summary of it. First Love is another film that's been sitting on my shelf for a while, so I was delighted when Tyler picked it. I'd forgotten what the premise was. Um, and then when I refreshed my memory of that, it was clear why Tyler picked it. But this is really good. I I really liked First Love. Um, again, I'm, I'm really repeating myself here this week, but it's that I think... Obviously, as he's gone on through the years, Mickey has kind of settled into this uh, standard way of working where he's managed to find material that he can then work his own sensibilities through in a way that's generally a bit more appealing than some of the more shocking and rougher stuff that he used to do. Whether he has... um, much input in the, the scripts, I, I'm not sure, uh, because they are, I believe, all written by uh, different people. This was by Masaru Nakamura and uh, Blade of the Immortal, obviously based on the, the manga and stuff, but it was Tetsuya Oishi. Oishi. Um, so I, I don't know if Miki, as director, then just takes plenty of liberties with the material and tries to do what he wants. There's certainly certainly enough in First Love to suggest that he he gets to enjoy finding ways to keep putting his stamp on things, whether it's the bursts of violence, um, the, the radically changing styles that happen in the third act, that I, I thought I had nodded off at one point and woke up to some different movie playing because it went animated for a while. Just not for long. But I didn't dream that, right? There's there's a small animated sequence, yeah? I mean, yeah, you didn't dream it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I think I blinked. I was like, wait, what? 
Um, but it's you know it's slightly <laughs> people could get fed up of that. Uh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's a great way to just put a sequence in a film that might otherwise never get made and then just recap events and uh, go on to other scenes either side of it. I thought it was really well done. I like I like the leads here. I think uh, Masataka Kubota is really good as Leo. He's the kind of standards um quiet male lead who can, you know, take a stand, but in this case it also happens to be because he thinks he's not got long to live anyway, so there is that, um, and I really like Sakurako Kodishi as Yuri, who's also uh, actually named uh, Monica, and um, she she seems to have this sweet connection with Leo but is running from this dangerous life she's been caught in and also has uh, numerous uh, hallucinations, uh, visions, particularly of her dead father. And um, I I just think Kenichi was really good at at playing uh, those, those aspects of her mental health without it being overdone or like we've seen stuff like this that's been played comically bad and I thought she did really well to to make her character still someone that you would you, know, you would root for and you want the leads to to do well in this crazy wild world that uh, that Mickey has delivered and I, I really like the the ending, kind of a, a coda. I thought it was good. So thanks for picking this tea. It was, um, I mean, it's it's probably, in a way, the most upbeat of the three. I'm going to say, although although for for Mickey movies, I think we generally pick three optimistic. All had fairly happy and well, I mean, yeah. two of the three had fairly happy endings, <laughs> and one had no ending. One just in stops. But this this does, um, you, you know, it's it, despite the plot being, you know, you can put it in a nutshell with this, uh, you know terminal boxer and call girl on the run from gang members, corrupt cops and everyone who wants to get them. That's there. But it it still works wonderfully in line with the the title. The first love uh kind of it kind of keeps weaving through it in a way that I just found really satisfying and nice and surprising. So it was a it was a good one. Really liked it. Uh, you know, uh, not to keep people in suspense. I also really liked first love. Um, it's one of those, it's one of those crime drama thrillers that had been popular since, uh, uh, Pulp Fiction where you got a whole bunch of characters and you're bopping around through them all and they all kind of interweave with each other. And these are of, you know, mixed (laughs) success. There's, you know. 
some that really work and there's others that don't work. But uh, for that kind of film in the vein of, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction or Go, uh, True Love is definitely one of the best of that kind. Uh, well, I agree with, with Kevin that uh, Kubota and Somatani were good. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Kubota and Konishi were good. I think uh, really carried were uh, the corrupt cop Otamo, by, played by now Omori, and his uh, uh, Yakuza sidekick Kase, played by Shota Somatani. They were so much fun. Like, they are terrible, terrible people, but they are so much fun in their roles that they just kind of carry it. Same with um, the dead dealer's girlfriend, Julie, is played by a singer named Becky. So Becky is Julie was really good. Oh yeah, I loved I loved her. I forgot to um, mention her because of her just having a single name again. So I got confused between the two when I had my nose. <laughs> I was yeah. like, who's Julie or Becky? Yeah, no, I, I get it. Julie, uh, Julie's scenes were all really good, and yeah. she was obviously like she played it to the hilt. Uh, the scene where she gets attacked by the dude is is she's really good in it. And then later where she's on her revenge spree, she's great. I enjoyed the shit out of so much of this film. Um, see, Seo Uchino as Gondo, the head Yakuza just released from prison is really good. Uh, Mamie Fukioka, Fujioka. I'm so sorry. Uh, as Chachi, the, uh, triad woman, Enforcer is really good. Like this whole cast is is solid and they give great performances that make their characters work. And it is a quirky comic book. Um it, it's a quirky comic book world with some really like this film like Kevin's like, "Oh, it's the most upbeat." Yeah, but it's also the darkest. Like <laughs> by far. This movie is one that like, oh, hey, here's a cute scene. Uh -huh, isn't it fun? And then it's like, oh, and by the way, I was sold by my dad to pay off his debts. And then they forced me to get hooked on drugs and whore me out. And you go, wow. So like that's underneath everything. And like, like it's it's a fucking brutal. This is the most brutal film this week and also the most lighthearted. And this is why I love uh this is why I love uh, Mikay's work. Dude is schizophrenic when it comes to theming. And in, in this case, I think it works really well. I mean, it can be hit and miss. Sometimes it just doesn't work. He reaches further than he can grasp. But I think he, he gets that brass ring in this one. Uh, the uh, hallucinations all work into the story. It's a solid one. I recommend everybody goes out and seize it whether they can uh, here in the US and on and in the UK also it's on Tubi and it is well worth your time so yeah leave it up to uh, Takashi Miike to make some weird hybrid gangster movie rom-com crime drama just yeah I loved every fucking second of this movie just everything I mean, compared to a lot of the other films from Mike, it's definitely a bit more restrained and focused, but it's still a 
100% him behind all the car chases and shootouts and sword fights and cocaine. There's a really sweet little love story involving the thirstiest dude in the history of cinema. I mean, that fucking guy goes through some hoops just to get a crack at some sex worker pussy. I mean, it's nuts. Um, it just it feels like a throwback, like Dave said, a throwback to the crime films of the 90s. But with that Mike touch, I, I also love films that take place over one night with a bunch of like invo- intertwining characters. Uh, the action set pieces in this are fucking amazing. Well shot, well staged, just nice and violent. It's paced incredibly well. It has a really dark sense of humor. And the leads are fucking great. I loved these two leads. Just, yeah, after this ended, it made me wish that Takashi Miike directed Baby Driver. Because that would have been amazing. Not a knock on Baby Driver. I like Baby Driver. I still think that's Edgar Wright's best movie. But um, Takashi Miike directing Baby Driver would only make it better. Because Miike makes everything better. Let's just be honest. Yeah, I love this movie. This was fucking great. And I'm glad I finally sat down to watch it. So that is me going with, how do you pronounce it? Fudo? Fudo, the Fudo. new generation. Okay. Fudo, the new generation. Um, in order to settle a business dispute, a mob leader murders one of his own teenage sons. Uh, the surviving son vows to avenge his brother's death and organizes his own gang of teenage killers to destroy his father's organization. Um. This movie may get my vote this week solely for the reason that it features a woman shooting darts out of her vagina, which was fucking amazing. Um, I'm just I'm easy to please, man. Just give me a movie that has a woman using her gash as a weapon. and I'm happy. Uh, Mike has a way of just making the most jarring of tonal shifts ever blend together perfectly while still keeping things feeling somewhat coherent. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's still messy in terms of actual like story structure, so maybe coherent to a point. But either way, it's amazing. Uh, this is an actual live action anime come to life on screen. Um, you get severed head soccer. There's weird hermaphrodite sex. It almost plays out like the ultimate Takashi Miike wet dream of surreal yakuza weirdness, centered around a montage of just super violent assassination scenes just some of the violence in this is so over the top that it borderlines on slapstick too i'm not big on slapstick myself but here it works really well um yeah this was uh this was some pretty wonderful shit i also really love the soundtrack like a lot the soundtrack is awesome but yeah this movie was a total blast and i honestly can't believe i hadn't seen this before this was like a 100 pure takashi Miike. it's it's amazing. I just, I love this one. I also really like this one. Uh, I'm completely unsurprised that um, Tyler loves it. But yeah, it's, um, I, I can't really add much more to what Tyler said. Like this one gets off to a quick start, uh, doesn't let up it's the shortest film we watched this week isn't it i think uh, just under 100 minutes or so yeah this one is is like an hour and a half maybe maybe a little bit more for for the cast i i'm not going to say i you know i like 
the cast in terms of their performances as much as say the the main characters in First Love. But I think uh, Shosuke Tanahara was fine in the role of uh, Fudo, or Ricky Fudo. Um, later on, you get the recognisable uh, is it Ricky Takeuchi? Yeah, he's he's the guy I'm thinking of, isn't he? Uh, but in in between those those two, you know, in between the lead and who I would argue is the most recognisable face in the cast, you get you get some really good younger players, whether they are proper uh, tiny kids being part of an assassin squad, or it's a giant lad who's like some cross between a school bully and the Terminator, or you have uh, someone who uh, dances as a stripper and can then fire darts in all of the scenes that I know Tyler paused and rewound and rewatched again and again and again. Um, that's yeah, it's it's really that they're all good. They they're all you know memorable characters. They are all helping the lead in this. I don't know if I'm overselling it, but I'd, I'd say it's designed as a noble quest for revenge, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's quite it's quite simplistic, even though there are a number of different characters thrown around on screen. I think the main kills in the opening act, the first twenty minutes or so, are a lot of fun to watch being uh, acted out and it's just uh, yeah, it's, it's good stuff this this feels um, like the most just kind of straightforward wacky fun more in line with a lot of our Mickey movies and it's uh, it's the earliest one as well from the three that we watched so he was still it's 1996 and yeah, I think there's a big difference between the, the sort of early to mid nineties Mickey say, and the later two thousands Mickey, but there there are room for all of them in the the chapel of film. I had a lot of fun with Steve. It was a it was a good time. Uh, yeah, I also really liked Fudo, the new generation. I, I think the first half of this film was the most fun I had this week. Mm-hmm. It is just so ridiculously crazy with everything. But this has the same problem Blade of the Immortal does. It has a villain problem. Because once they introduce who turns out to be the main antagonist, um, Gone. Or, or Gondo. I wrote Gondo. They kept saying Gondo, but, but other places said it was just gone. Gone just kind of doesn't work. Like where everything else is all very cartoony and over the top. And then he's like just the super villain who munches on kimchi. And that's like it. <laughs> he's an underwhelming antagonist for everything that we've been set up to up to this point. And I think that kind of cuts the sales for a little bit, but it picks back up in the end. So I'm not going to totally hold it against it. I just wish they'd given them a better 
antagonist to play off of. Because once he starts wrecking shit, it is like a total shift in gears and it just doesn't work for me. But once, you know, once that's cleared up, it's back on to where it was for a a hell of a final act. The the confrontation with uh, the older generation is kind of amazing and just just ridiculous is all get out. I was I was a big fan from from the moment they had two eight year olds assassinate a man in an arcade (laughs) up to the uh, abrupt ending there's actually there's two sequels which uh, Mikay did not direct that I'm gonna have to look into. I'm not sure how much of the cast comes back. I do know, uh, as as mentioned by Kevin, uh, Ricky Takuchi, Takeuchi comes back for all three, uh, because you know, he's the biggest name in this cast by like a huge margin. That dude in Japan is just he is like a, an industry unto himself. Uh, probably best known for most people. He shows up as a fictionalized version of, of himself in um, Battle Royale 2. Probably where he's best known in the U.S. And the Dead or Alive series. He's he's one of the leads in that. Another That's another Mikkei, right? The first two, at least. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think he did all three, but I could yeah. be, I could be could, wrong there. I, yeah, I couldn't remember if he did all three. I know he only did the first Fudo. And it's a lot of fun. Another one well worth hunting up. Uh, the kills are an absolute blast, especially the first four or five assassinations. The, the random stories with the kids like that, that the biker boy is just amazing. I mean, he sh- his his all of his scenes are just hilarious. Uh, the two enforcer girls are are great. It's a fun time. Well worth looking up. I picked this one because I thought I'd go a little bit deeper into uh, Mikkei's catalog. You know, there's the dude's made. God, how many movies has he made at this point? He's made like 130 films. I know I could look it up on IMDb and it would tell me exactly how many films he currently has. But I'm just trying to guess since Blade of Immortal was 2017. He averages five a year. So I'm going to guess I, I'm 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 going to look it up. Uh I would have guessed about 120. I'm gonna guess he has 130. Ooh. That's that's my okay. I ah god this tablet. Okay. Takashi Mikai, according to IMDB, he has Oh, damn, we are both wrong. Only 114 credits as a director. Oh. Apparently, that can't be right. Like, I'm looking at this, and he kept up that five a year. Oh, oh, no. He's kind of dabbled in TV a lot over the last couple years. But, uh, huh. Well, no, that can't be right. IMDb has to be wrong. Just looking at this, he has over 20 since since what the one I know to be his 100th film. So whatever. I I don't know. He also had an acting cameo in Hostel. Yes, yes he did. 
Uh, anyway, I, I, I'm totally digressing. Um, Fudo is a lot of fun. It is it is prime introductory, uh, Mikay. Uh, this, there's an actual cyborg in it who does show up. There's um, a, a female student who totes a, a large machine gun. Uh, but yeah, overall, Fudo's a blast. It was a pretty good week for us overall, but it is that time. It is time to pick one. I went back and forth all week between Fudo and First Love. I'm going to give it to First Love because I just loved everything about that fucking movie. Just everything. Perfect. I am also going with uh, First Love. Yeah, me too. Uh, I I had the same problem as Tyler. It was back and forth between Fudo and First Love, but First Love doesn't have the villain misstep. Everybody in it's great and an absolute blast on screen. So it is First Love. I mean, you should go see all three. Don't don't get me wrong. Definitely. But if you had to pick one and somebody's like, you know, pick a Takashi Miike film or die, go with First Love. It's a good one and you'll live. And we want you to live because at the end of the day, we like listeners like you. Yeah, you. How you doing, guy? It's good I, to see ironic, you. Ironically, if someone has their gun to your head and says, pick a Takashi Miike film or die, you're probably in a Takashi Miike film at that that's, point. Actually, that's that's a that's a very good point. <laughs> and in that case, you pick Phoenix Wright for the bonus points. He'll give you for that one. All right, next week, we're back to normal. It's Kevin and Tyler's turn to pick. What do you guys have for us? You want me to go? You, you want yeah, me to go? go on. Okay. Cool. I'm I'm going with a movie I watched on Cinemax all the time back in the early 2000s. I'm going with The Witches of Breastwick. I'm just joking. I'm um I'm actually going with Dancing at the Blue Iguana starring Jennifer Tilly. Right, okay. Well, my film also has dancing in it. It's another one that's been on my shelf for a while and I haven't watched. It is 1979's Rock and Roll High School. Nice. I got a steelbook of that sitting right here that I haven't opened yet. Perfect. Oh, nice. Yeah. I got a, I got a decent edition of it last year or the year before, but uh, I've never seen it. I know the Ramones are in it. Yeah. They are. PJ Souls. So, uh, for our special this month, uh, I'm sorry, guys, but you guys are going to have to be on your best behavior is Killa has finally worn me down and we're going to have a, a small guest pick all four movies next month, this week, month. I can speak. Uh, her first pick. Nimona. Yeah. Okay. But, but louder and draw we out that A. Just these films. Does that mean we try to avoid having potty mouths? I would I would have well, I mean, you know, she's she's my niece. 
Yeah, and so, she's going to want to hear what we say about the films. And she's going to want to hear what you say about the movies. And and but my point was, you know how my mouth is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so I, I'm, I'm going to sleep if I slip up. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to try to keep it under, but like if you fucking slip up because you know you're just <laughs> fucking vulgar fucks, like my fucking self, that's fine. Well, maybe of a, a a three second delay in case Tyler mentions apple fritters, <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> oh, she was pro- She might ask Tyler about steps. Uh, that's my fault. That is, I was I was making a joke to to uh, friend of the show Chris and my sister, both of whom have seen steps and have shown other people steps, and I made a joke about the carpet babies. <laughs> <laughs> that she heard and then i was like i'll explain i can explain that in simple terms and now for a few months she's been obsessing over watching steps oh god yeah i i fucked up <laughs> yep yeah good luck with that one fuck We're on the gram, Raiders underscore of underscore the underscore podcast. We're on Facebook, where I sometimes remember to post stuff on Wednesdays. I remember this week. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where you can like, subscribe, and comment on Kevin's totally awesome videos weekly. And you can always email us at Raiders of the podcast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, guys. I'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya. Yes, 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 yes,